0: Hello and welcome to the Take as Directed podcast. I'm Steve Morrison, Senior Vice President and Director of the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. Today we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Christos Stylianides, the European Commissioner for Humanitarian Aid and Crisis Management, and also the European Union Ebola Coordinator. We've asked Christos to join us today to speak on several topics the recent outbreak of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the work that the European Union is advancing in education in crisis settings, the desire, the effort underway to uh, improve the standards for the delivery of health in emergencies, and those areas where strengthening U.S.-E.U. cooperation in health and humanitarian operations are most promising. Christos, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. We're delighted to have you here at CSI. You bring a very unusual background uh, to this job as a as a surgeon, a medical doctor, as a person raised um, in Cyprus in the midst of crises in this nineteen seventy four uh, crises as a child, you witnessed uh, an emergency in your own in your uh, humanitarian emer- and political emergency in your own. Uh, midst as a child in your own community in Nicosia. Uh, you've had a, lo- a career in government in various positions. You've played the role of a being a pragmatic conciliator, uh, someone who's brought lots of energy and compassion uh, and creativity to the agenda in front of the EU. You've been there working these issues now for several years. Highly active, we've seen your work on Syria We've seen your work on Ebola as the Ebola coordinator, which you still retain that role. So thank you. It's exciting to have you here. Of course, the timing couldn't be better in terms of the unfolding drama around Ebola and the new outbreak in DRC. Um, you were very involved in the uh, outbreak now, uh, I was delighted to see on May 18th the EU announce a package of urgent humanitarian assistance to help contain the outbreak in DRC, 1.5 million euros, and then an additional 130,000 for the International Federation of the Red Cross, Red Crescent. And you're providing some air support, very critically important in the that area of Ecuador, which is very difficult to access, as well as getting in and out of Mbandaka, which is now so central to this. So why don't you say a few words about the Current response uh, Europe being so much in the forefront in the in the in the rapid response, and then say a bit about how is this pattern of response different from two thousand and fourteen where you served in the role as the coordinator so welcome and thank you so much we're honored to have you here let's start out by talking about Ebola
1: first of all thank you so much, Stephen, for your kind words about <laughs> my really demanding political path uh, started in Cyprus many years ago and of course my painful experience in my childhood uh, period when we passed through very really difficult circumstances uh, in 1963 1974 but it's another story now we have to focus on uh, the current situation on Ebola crisis. Um, what is happening now in DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, is a stark reminder that uh, we must never be complacent when it comes to Ebola. We must remain vigilant. Uh, you know that the. Um, the international organisation, the international body uh, responsible for coordinating our response, our common response, uh, of course, is the World Health Organisation (WHO). From the very beginning, uh, as Ebola coordinator in our institutions uh, inside European Union as a whole, I've been in constant contact with the WHO and especially with uh, Dr. Tetros, the director, general director. Mm-hmm. As you said, European Union is always at the forefront when it comes to provide humanitarian assistance, both in terms of funding and in kind. And uh, let me say here how pride I am for the fact that the European Union remains the global leading force in humanitarian aid. We are the biggest humanitarian donor in humanitarian field. The case of DRC highlights the wisdom of the practical measures we took after learning from the previous uh, experience uh, for Ebola outbreak in West Africa, in uh, 2014. First, we established the so-called EU Medical Corps, Corps, European Medical Corps. This was our direct response to the challenge of rapidly mobilizing medical teams. Second, the improvement of the European mobile laboratory, Mm -hmm. which gives robust Capacity to address epidemic prone infectious diseases as part of, uh, you know, WHO's global outbreak and response network. And third, the Ebola crisis also led to created coherence in the international emergency health response. We are now aligning our standards with those set by the World Health Organization. One of the main lessons learned from the Ebola crisis is of course that we need to work better together. Mm -hmm. This is for me, uh, it's really crucial because uh, I remember uh, my first visit in November 2014 in the three affected countries Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea, and uh, I saw that uh, without this uh, ambition to work together on the ground, mm-hmm. um, it's really difficult to deal with such problems as Ebola in any stage of the uh, of the Ebola crisis. So, together with the U.S. We have a common interest in improving rapid public health response in the context of epidemics. There is a lot of space for improvement and we need to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Also, I would like to raise awareness about my lesson learned on the previous outbreak in West Africa. At that time, in my visit on the ground. I realized that uh, one of the major problems came because they didn't have a regional cooperation, the three affected countries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. if you see very precisely and very carefully the map, you can understand that there is a really red spot which is the... Uh, sort of connection uh, among the borders of the three affected countries. Right. And through this red spot, we saw that it was the most dangerous spot in order to see the spread of the virus mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. So we need regional cooperation also among affected countries as uh, uh, in uh, previously, but now in DRC, because you know that uh, it's really big country. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, um, I, I was there last month mm-hmm. uh, for a completely different issue. But I realized that the size of this country is more or less uh, the half of Europe. Right. <laughs> yes, right. you can understand that we need also this cooperation between the uh, central government and the regional authorities. So it is real political message from me that we have to increase this collaboration between central authorities with the local and regional authorities.
0: You know, a couple of things to just add to what you've said. Um, I've been encouraged in some ways. The minister of health, Congolese minister, very impressive. Um, has on his staff people who've been trained in international operations centers, three of them. Um, he was in Atlanta about a month ago consulting. I'm sure you had a chance to meet with him. A good partner, quick response. I was encouraged by the speed and the high-level leadership engagement. Dr. Tedros, Peter Salama, Dr. Muetti, MSF. Uh, welcome Trust, the mobilization EU, CDC, Africa, CDC, the AU, CDC, the mobilization, the fact that we now have a vaccine as a tool, that we have the pandemic um, emergency fund at the World Bank, the pledges towards the response now for 90 days is almost all the way up to 57, 59 million dollars. It's it's really, It's we've learned a lot in this period. Now, having said that, it still seems like a very dangerous situation. We have the risk of the We don't really know how long the virus has been circulating or how many chains are out there. We have the threat to the urban environment, 10 cases, three who left the facilities last night, one who's still unknown. We have the um, – we don't know how many chains of transmission are out there. In terms of the complexity of the region, as you pointed out, the regional cooperation, because we have the rivers as a transmission, we have the ability to have this moved into multiple countries fairly quickly and onward to Europe and elsewhere. So that I wanted you to say a bit about that. And then in terms of just the logistics challenge, challenge of operating in Ecuador province, this is a place where only 30 percent of the children are vaccinated. There's no health infrastructure vast territories very hard to get to and then the social and cultural dimensions which you've emphasized so many times uh, on the west where which were so critical to West Africa here we have 30 to 40 percent of the population are pygmy Uh, the uh, very marginal very remote no history of immunization very limited history of immunization and we're trying to execute uh, the all of the isolation contact tracing, burial practices, vaccine, vaccination campaign, all complicated endeavors. It's, It still seems to me it's going to be a big lift in this case, but we, we did learn some really important things out of Ebola.
1: I totally agree with you, Stephen, especially about our current better prepared uh, in all aspects of our activities against the virus. And uh, I have to say that uh, I realize in my discussions with uh, Director General Tedros that uh, even WHO now really is better prepared than three years ago. Um, Second point, as you said, DRC is really better prepared than the three affected countries in uh, in west africa Um, maybe you remember uh, at that time we we faced even resistance to accept epidemiologists on the ground and uh, we had uh, uh, some attacks against humanitarian workers so um, the situation yes i completely agree is a completely different, better pre- preparation. But as I said, um, from my experience, um, we must uh, never be complacent with Ebola. <laughs> uh, and as you said, um, the case in Bandaka, this town which really connected through river with Kinshasa, it's a really danger. A uh, sign signal that we have to increase our alert and to send there more medical teams, you know, through EU Medical Corps, through our uh, uh, European uh, emergency mechanisms. We already mobilize our countries and uh, our assistance. As I, I saw yesterday. Some French uh, doctors, uh, medical personnel, they already uh, deployed there. And also really very specific assistance by our partner in in our European Union Civil Protection Mm Mechanism from uh, Norway. Mm -hmm. So the situation definitely now is better in comparison with the situation in the three affected countries in West Africa three years ago. But... No complacency. We have to be on alert, and we have to definitely, day by day, to increase our cooperation and our coordination on the ground.
0: Yes, thank you. Let's um, shift the discussion a bit. You've been very active on uh, uh, introducing a new initiative on education in crises. Very important endeavor. This has been ongoing for some time as a priority of the EU. Um, Tell us a bit about where that initiative is moving. It's terribly important. Uh, You've really distinguished the EU as a leader in this area. Tell us a bit more about that.
1: You know that my cabinet and my people (laughs) in my services, they accuse me that... I have an obsession on education emergencies. And my answer, yes, in our life, we need some positive obsessions. (laughs) And why not? Yes, um, I have passion on this field. And uh, as soon as uh, I became a commissioner, I realized the the big gap between the time a conflict began and the time national authorities, even international uh, partners could provide any basic education. Mm-hmm. And this gap definitely is really dangerous in any conflict area. Yes. I saw in Begah Valley, I saw in Jordan, I saw in areas affected by Boko Haram's initiatives mm-hmm. uh, close to Lake Chant. So this is why I, I got this obsession on education emergencies because I saw on the ground this necessity. Um, you know, education is the most uh, chronically underfunded sector right. in emergencies. Right. Almost 75 million children have their education disrupted in emergencies and crisis. Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, DRC, South Sudan, the list is long and unfortunately keeps growing. These children have no prospects, they have no hope, and they risk falling victim to violence, sexual abuse, forced labor, forced recruitment, radicalization, and forced marriage. Yes. We must give these children prospects and hope through education. This is the only way. This is what my decision to increase our budget for education matches to 10 times. in uh, 2018 is all about. Education in emergencies for me, is our moral duty. Our moral duty to the millions of children around the world who have no access to quality learning. And it is also a strategic investment in global peace and prosperity. Maybe it's the most strategic investment in any crisis. Um, because education,
0: above all, is a fundamental human right. Correct. So tell me, is what is the interface with the U.S. on this? Is there, uh, as you were launching this, as you're moving, been moving this forward? How do you how do you interact with the United States on the education piece of this?
1: Look, um, frankly speaking, in my meetings with uh, my interlocutors. Um, I found uh, really common understanding, mm-hmm. no doubt. Mm-hmm. But the European Union approach and our decision to increase mm-hmm. our budget eight times in three years, from 1% to 8%, is really pioneer approach, yes. and uh, um, Because you know that the global target on this field it's only 3%. Correct. So I strongly believe and this is my political uh, conviction mm-hmm. that we have to invest in education. Do you feel
0: like do you feel by taking this dramatic step of in the space of 3 years um, increasing so many fold, right? 800%, maybe 1000%. Um, will that stimulate, will that leverage money from other donors from the U.S. as well as other donors, do you feel?
1: No, because um, I strongly believe that all of us mm-hmm. in this community, we know well, we realize many times on the ground that the needs are so much. Yeah. And uh, it's um, it's difficult to uh, accept that someone is going to uh, to handle their contribution because of my decision to increase right. this budget. I think uh, the the situation on the ground is uh, so painful about education, and this is why I insisted and on where my... do
0: you, where do you expect to see the greatest results? Uh, you focus. You expect to see the greatest results in Syria in. Uh, exile populations in the neighboring states in Lebanon and Turkey and elsewhere. Look,
1: frankly speaking, we we saw uh, the most important improvement on the ground in Lebanon and Jordan, yeah. but also in some African countries uh, around Lake Chad. Mm-hmm. So, why I focus uh, in the middle on the Middle East? Because uh, I visited a lot. Uh, more or less I'm coming from the region and I can understand in more detail uh, way some aspect of the situation yes. on the ground, yes. And uh, in particular in Lebanon, Jordan, in Iraq, mm. when we mm. we we made uh, this uh, great operation to liberate uh, Mosul, yes. yes, and in some Curtis uh, areas also. Um, I saw that uh, the only shield against radicalization mm-hmm. and against forced recruitment, especially when the children pass their teenager period, mm-hmm. is a sort of education protection.
0: Correct.
1: Yes, it's the only way. Yeah. So it's not only about educational skills, but uh, maybe, above all, it's about protection. Because any in this context with this educational system, in these very difficult circumstances, is a is a sort of a sign of normalcy mm-hmm. in their life,
0: mm-hmm. and uh, so it has a stabilizing it has effect. St- yes, societal yes, it's a stabilizing. It, it, effect. It,
1: it, 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 it's a it's a really um, a kind of psychosocial support,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I saw just uh, outside Mosul a year ago, and uh, I saw the, the faces of these children when they, they had this contact with their, chief, chief, their teachers. Yeah. Yes, Christians or Muslims. And this is another excellent uh, example that through education emergencies, we can see that humanitarian assistance could be a real instrument for for reconciliation, mm-hmm. because these children, at this critical time, they can realize that, regardless of the different religions, regardless of the different ethnic groups, they can go together through education. Mm-hmm. And of course, we need to connect and to link this first stage education emergencies with national curriculum and with medium and long term. But first of all, we have to start education process and we have to start education process in emergency situations.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of our Take as Directed podcast, featuring Dr. Christos Stylianides, the European Union Commissioner for Humanitarian Aid and Crisis Management and the European Union Ebola Coordinator. We invite you to subscribe to Take As Directed so that you can never miss our latest episode. And for more information on our upcoming events and recent publications, please visit the CSIS.org Global Health Policy Center program page. Thank you.